All right, everybody. Good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. If you would like to join us in worship, here we go.
thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you for this time that we have to gather here. Uh, pray that you would go before us even in the short time um, that we have before we sing again, before we hear your word um, and prepare our hearts for you to work in that place. And we ask this in your wonderful and perfect name. Lay down your heart and come as you 
as tall as Wes, but everybody go ahead and have a seat. I'd like to welcome you all here today uh, at our worship gathering this morning, and if you're online, uh, I'd like to welcome everybody that uh, is meeting with us online. We, um, we're gathering today to uh, celebrate, uh, like we do every first day of the week, everything that uh, Jesus accomplished for you and I, and uh, it has been a pretty bumpy uh, year that we've gone through. And uh, so uh, I'm going to play Matt for a second, and I'm going to I'm going to kind of help us along to get started uh, by uh, giving you a, a Bible verse just out of the gate to remember. And I'm going to I'm going to actually just have you repeat it after me. I want you to say these words: I can do all things through Christ Jesus, who strengthens me. Now, you guys got that? Okay. So this week, whenever you're struggling through something, you can say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus, who? <laughs> okay, good enough. Well, just got a, a couple of announcements that we want to make you aware of, and if we can just look on the screen. Uh, first of all, if you need your giving statement for your uh, tax purposes, uh, they are available uh, in the, um, uh, at the uh, uh, table outside the worship center. I got my close contacts in, so I can't really see it that well. Uh, so I'm just going to look up here. Um, uh, we are meeting uh, after church, uh, a few minutes after the worship gathering is over. Uh, we're meeting, and we're just doing kind of a Bible study, trying to get that sense of community reignited again for uh, meeting a little bit more informally around the Word. Uh, so we gather here in the worship center. Uh, Rich typically teaches uh, uh, something that uh, falls along the lines of what we just heard in the message uh, the application side of it. So we'd love to have you come and join us uh, if you can after worship, if, um, uh, if you want to just spend some more time digging deeper in the Word. Uh, next uh, announcement is um, uh, we have winter devotional yoga happening right now. It just uh, started last Thursday, but I believe people can still come and join you at any point, Kendall. I uh, have a great time down there in the Fellowship Hall, social distancing, but still I think a good way to be with people be encouraged and to um, uh, kind of just uh, keep the blood pumping and everything stressed uh, reduced uh, as we go through winter. So thanks, Kendall, for doing that. And then um, 
we are in the process of collecting updated information for our directories. Uh, as you know, it's a very dynamic thing. As soon as we print them out, it seems like one or two people end up changing an address or something. So we've got to renew this periodically. So if, uh, if you'd like to help us just to have an upgraded uh, database on that and, and, and a booklet that we're going to produce that is a non-pictorial booklet, uh, please uh, help us in that process by, uh, by giving your, your information uh, if it's changed any. And if not, just let us know that it's, it's, it's okay the way it is. Okay, uh, we have um, one more, I think, and that is we're doing elder-led prayer uh, uh, this Thursday at 6 o'clock. So if you have anything that um, uh, is weighing on you, we want you to be able to experience with us uh, that, that setting of corporate prayer. And um, I can tell you we did it last year, and a lot of good things happened out of that as we kind of recount God's effect on that. So I'm, I'm finished, other than uh, our kids are now uh, dismissed to go and um, and and be with the uh, the, the the youth down. Uh, just follow uh, our Pied Piper Matt, and he'll take you right to where you need to go. All right, good. Am I on? All right, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, just le letting you know out the gate, you kind of walked into a spicy one this morning. Uh, John the Baptist is, I feel like we've been talking about John the Baptist for like, I feel like I've been talking about John the Baptist for like a month now. Uh, today, uh, he's going to continue to point us to Christ. He has the sermon for us today, and uh, we have a lot of work to do, so we're just going to jump right in. And um, this is the word of God. Um, more than your stomach needs food, you need this. Uh, but you can't hear your mind growl. Your mind growls for this uh, by getting anxious uh, when it doesn't have this. It gets fearful. There's a lostness that sets in. There's, a, um, there's an anxiety that comes. And this is how you feed that growling. This is the wor words are the most powerful things in the universe. It's by words that God made all things. So whoever said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, was either a fool or deaf. Um, and so we need this. We need to hear this. So before we jump in, um, I want to pray for that very thing. So Father, this is your word. This is what you tell your people. Your word, sometimes it wrecks shop in our hearts, but you're always gracious to put us back together when we're humble enough to admit that we're broken. And we, when we come to you in that state, we're never more closer to you when we're in that state as when we can admit it. So I pray that you would do a work today, Spirit, uh, just through the word that you inspired, through the faithful men that you put it into the world through and may the one who it is about, Jesus Christ, be glorified in all of our hearts. May your name be glorified today. May your church be edified and built up. And may we have ears to hear, minds that understand, and help us to endure. Thank you for what we're about to hear. I am small in this. You are all things. I pray that you would come through in your mighty power and do what only you can in our hearts and it's for your wonderful name we pray all right 
All right, so we're in Luke 3, if you want to find, if you'd like to find that in your Bible so that you can see this and know that I'm not making anything up. We put it on the screen too. Um, All right, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being the governor of Judah, and Herod being tetriarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetriarch of the region of Etheria, and Triconitus, and like, I almost made it through, (laughs) and and Lysenius, tetriarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, stop. All right, so this is where we're going to hang out for just a moment. And uh, Luke is very specific about noting who's in power. So we can look through the historical record and we can look back through our Bible and we see these names. Uh, these are time stamps in history so that we can look back and see uh, in the historical record and in our Bibles, which is history, uh, uh, we, and we can see that this is an authentic work. He's the, the, uh, Luke isn't writing a fiction here. And um, how he started, we have... You rewind it one verse. We have um, we have Tiberius Caesar. So he starts at the top. Tiberius Caesar at that time would have been one of the most, if not the most, powerful man um, in the world at the time. But he's not the most important man in the world at the time. We'll get to him. So the text starts at the top. So if you're uh, if Luke three was a movie and on the, on the marquee it would say Luke three one through fourteen, which is what we're doing today. It would it would have the big actors' names. All right. So we'd have. Tiberius, he'd be first. He's your George Clooney. We'd have uh, Pontius Pilate, and so on and so on and so on. And it goes down. Um, it starts in, in secular, and then the text moves into spiritual, into religious, once it gets to Annas and Caiaphas. Um, and so what this is to say is um, the stage is set. That's why Luke tells us this. All the players are on the field. Um, everyone's in place. Uh, for everything to begin to happen, all right? So and then the text gets to John the Baptist. And like so in your movie credits, when they roll at the end, you have your big names at the top. Uh, and then like right before like it gets to like girl with flowers and bicycle guy, you know, there's one last name, and that's John the Baptist. Um, and he is the second most important person on planet Earth in this time. Any guesses who the first is? We have. Thank you. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> All right, so none of that really like feeds your soul, but it does inform your mind, which feeds your understanding, which then feeds your soul. Uh, so we have Tiberius Caesar. He is a deified emperor. Emperor, We have Pontius Pilate. He's the governor, uh, an extension of Caesar in the region uh, where our setting is taking place. He's, uh, he plays an unjust judge, we'll read later. We have Herod. This is another picture of a bad king. If you've ever read First and Second Kings, it's bad news. There's like two guys that do things halfway okay, and the rest of it's just a gong show. Um, real hopeful books. <laughs> But God is very patient through all that, and he carries it up to this day until he brings us our perfect king. Um, and then we have Philip and Licinius, uh, who these would have, uh, uh, Herod, these two would have been, uh, these are three of four people that would have been charged in Israel in the day. Um, and then we have Annas and Caiaphas. And I want you to know all of these are Satan's men. Jesus is coming to subvert the powers that be by taking on the power behind the power. 
because Caesar, Pilate, Herod, the other two guys, Caiaphas, um, Jesus is the perfect version of all of them. You have a deified emperor. Jesus is Lord of Lords, Kings of Kings. He's the just judge where Pilate wasn't. He's uh, the perfect, enduring high priest. You can read about in Hebrews that Annas and Caiaphas failed to be. And think of the sovereignty behind all of this because God's hand is just the hand over the chessboard of all these things. And then John the Baptist is the wild card that enters the, that enters the playing field. Okay, so um, verse, <clears throat> end of verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Okay, so it came to him. This wasn't his message, so to speak. It didn't come from him. He's not speaking on his own authority. This is why we take John serious. He's a unique instrument of God. Uh, everything about John was antithetical to the uh, adverse counter to the religious authorities at the time, so he stuck out gloriously. All right, if he was here right now, you guys would know about it. You guys probably wouldn't want to say hi to him because he's. You guys see that dude? That's what you'd be like, like sitting next to your spouse. Maybe you wouldn't do this because that's. But you you would be like, bro, um, that's John. He sticks out. Wonderfully, um, everything from uh, his birth, his upbringing, his education, his social status, uh, his, his personal life, his garb, um, his lifestyle, his personality, straight down to his diet. Um, Matthew, in the beginning of Matthew 3, there's John the Baptist there, and he, and he says he wore a camel skin with a leather belt, and uh, locusts and honey was his food. Uh, and he was never supposed to cut his hair. That's because he took a Nazarite vow. So this guy looks like, like caveman John. Like, and if we didn't know that he was um, a man of God, we would just probably call him like Boondocks John. Like there's like crazy dude John out there. Um, uh, but he's a unique instrument that was prepared, raised up by God. And we talked... Uh, like others, the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, he did not match that at all. They were uh, trained by men in the traditions of men, institutionary, um, religious institution. John, trained by God, by God largely away from men. So we talked about last week in Digging Deeper uh, that God keeps both John the Baptist and Jesus uh, out of the picture uh, kind of keeps them on the side until the right time. Um, and we just reiterate that just for a sec, that he keeps them both under wraps. Uh, and there was this Ravi Zacharias quote that uh, I thought was helpful because God has kind of a history of doing this. He's done it before. God raised up Joseph in the wilderness and used him in a palace. God raised up Moses in a palace and used him in the wilderness. Uh, so John was out. The, he didn't get a chance for fear of man to develop in him. How wonderful that would be. He didn't, get a ch he didn't read the cultural prompter. He didn't, you know, watch Fox or CNN. He, he wasn't informed by all that. This is a man, like, he had a godly father. His, his dad was, uh, was uh, a priest, a Levite, and he, so he had, like, this training, but he's also kept in the wilderness. He took his Nazarite vow, which means he didn't drink, so he's completely sober-minded. Uh, he, he never cut his hair. He was a man set apart by God. That's 
essentially what a Nazarite vow was, when a man or woman would, would do that. So he would have never cut his hair, so he had these cute little baby hairs in the end of his gross dreadies. That's John. Uh, and, he w- and he would never have cut them. He would have had six long dreadies that he would have like, tied around his waist, and he would have used them for a, for, a, for a sack. Caveman clothes, eating bugs and honey, dreadies. That's John the Baptist. And he's got a fervent spirit for God. He's a ferocious man for God. We're gonna, it's going to be a little spicy soon here once he gets to his sermon. All right? All right, so the word of God came to John. The time has come. All right, so for all these reasons, he's going to make you uncomfortable. But you're going to believe his powerful message because you'll find this eccentric kind of imaged guy isn't so crazy but very logical. And he has nothing to gain from his actions. He's solely for God. Not so with the Pharisees. They were lover of money, lover of pleasure. They were tame litter box using house cats. John the Baptist, wild cat. All right, verse 3. And when he came into the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right. All right, the baptism of repentance. The baptism, uh, uh, as used by John, it existed before John used it. He just implements it for what? Uh, for. Uh, for repentance, a baptism of repentance. So this was uh, to indicate sorrow for sin and a moral change on behalf of those being baptized. And after the resurrection, baptism meant something completely new and completely different. Up until Jesus, it meant this. Sorrow for sin, moral change. It was just morality. But you'll find, as you come to church more and more, and as you start reading your Bible, Uh, more and more, that it's not just about morality, okay? It's about life and death. It's about a lot more than we could ever accomplish by just being good moral people. Jesus, uh, we'll get to that. All right, so John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter, all these guys have something in common. They all begin their ministries with the call to repentance, with the offer of sins, uh, forgiven, with the offer of sins forgiven. Uh, like they would have had to, like Jesus and Peter would have, been ha- would have had to pay royalties to John the Baptist because they all said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. All of them. That's how they begin all their ministry. That's significant. So John's role was to turn the eyes, was to turn the eyes of the people to Jesus who would then this is where Jesus steps in and does what only he can do. John the Baptist cannot do this next part. Who would, John turns their eyes to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus turns their eyes to God. Turns their heart to God. God can turn the eyes. Jesus turns the heart. All right, so the offer on the table is we get to change. It's not a we have to. We need to do some work in your heart if it's, we have to change. I have to, I have to, I have to. You're not looking at Jesus clear enough. Yes, we do have to change. Have to. But there's a privilege when you receive the gift and just stop receiving the commands. You're just receiving the commands and, you're, and, and you have to. You receive the gift and you get to. And some of us might think, well, I don't need to change. I don't want to. 
Others don't care. And the rest of us are like, oh, thank God. Not one of these three groups of indifference or um, resistance or even openly needing to needs Jesus any less than one of the others. We as Christians, we can often look like, uh, have this, this, uh, with, we can have it within us just to think we're, uh, we're better than, we're better than. None of us are better than anyone who's not in this room. The very fact that we're saved by grace tells us that we're not better than anybody else because you didn't do anything to save you. You were saved by grace when you were saved. So I can't look to someone who I see completely botching it uh, and say, and think to myself, I'm better than that person. No, that's what Jesus saved me from too. And we're not better than, but we are better off because of Jesus. So you'll find this isn't about morality, this is about life. Don't come to church and just, okay, I, need, I had a friend once who we took a walk, and he was like, you know, man, I know you're getting all religious now, and uh, I'm kind of feeling like I, mean, I, said, I, I, I need to feel, do something to feel like a good person. So we went for a walk, and he's just like, man, why are you telling me about Jesus so much? I just want to go to church and feel like a good person. He's like, ah, you're missing the point, man. All right, so verses... Four through six. As, as it is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. Okay, so this is here. Book of Isaiah was written 680, 720 BC, somewhere, somewhere in there. Um, and uh, John 1.6 says, John the Baptist came to testify about the, uh, testify about the light. He was not himself the light. He came to testify about the light. He's Jesus' hype guy, not that Jesus needs one, but he, uh, he comes to prepare the people. He catches everybody's eyes so he can get their heart, remember? Okay, so Jesus can get their heart. Um, so, this is written in the book of Isaiah, it's in Malachi 2, and maybe somewhere else I'm forgetting about right now. Um, so the people at the time knew that something was, like the Messiah was coming, they knew that, they knew someone was going to come before he came, and kind of prepare, there's going to be this voice in the wilderness. So John starts spouting, he starts crying out, and so everybody is like, catching ear, he's starting to catch the eyes, God's plan starting to be formed, remember the book of Isaiah was written six, seven hundred years ago, so we know that not only John the Baptist uh, prepares people for Jesus, but we know that God prepared this whole thing. John prepares, God prepared everything, though. Kind of nice how that works out, because John, we, just, we know by this that John just isn't some open-air preacher that's out there saying all this stuff, that we have enough of those. All right, so when the time came for the Messiah, we would know by this text what it was going to look like. There's going to be someone crying out in the wilderness, John. This is what he's born for. He's, he's, he's working out his purpose here and now. 
voice of one crying out. John's whole life can be summed up in three words. Hey, repent, Jesus. That's it. That was John's entire life. My mic was a little loud, sorry. John has a ministry of preparation. Remember, kept catching our ear, catching our eye, so that Jesus can capture our heart. Because, uh, verse 4, at the end of verse 4, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, for the Lord, make straight his paths. We're the paths that need straightening. We're the valley that needs filled. We're the haughty and proud mountain and hill that need made low, humbled. Humility isn't something that's really natural in us. It's something that's put in us when we're humbled. You're humbled and then you're hopefully humble. We're the crooked that needs to be straightened. We're the rough places that need leveling, smoothed out. We're the flesh that needs to see the salvation of God. We need to see Jesus. He's the embodiment of salvation. Clear as we can put it, he himself is our salvation. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not over there. It's, it's here. It's here. It's me, he's saying. Jesus, when he, op- I've said this before, when Jesus opens the eyes of the blind, he doesn't just say, okay, now go that way, like a lot of other religions say, okay, now obey these rules until you get up here. That's not what Christianity is. It's a person. It's Jesus. This book is not about us, but it is for us. And so I have, I've had these at my house for a while, and I was like, you know what? We're in Luke right now. This is the word of God. So if your stomach is growling, if your mind uh, is growling, please see us after the service. I got three study Bibles here. These are yours. First, first one who comes up gets to pick. <laughs> when the last person, you get what's left over, but they're all pretty sweet. So uh, we're going to put these down here. Come see us after service. If we have more than three people who want a Bible, I'll make sure, we'll make sure that you get one, all right? That's the only perfect, this is the only perfect thing we have in this world. It's the only thing that tells us the truth about ourselves. John's about to do this. He's going to make us a little nervous. He's going to grate against us a little bit. It doesn't feel good, but it's going to be so good. I'm asking you to endure. Stay a little longer. Luke writes, so Jesus is the embodiment of our, of our salvation. Clear as put, he is our salvation, Jesus. Luke writes Peter's spirit-driven words in Acts 4, 12, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name given among men, among mankind, by which we must be saved. So we need to see Jesus. Um, some want salvation, but no Jesus. Um, that's wanting happiness without the supplier of it, gift without the giver. But know that the great invitation of the gospel is not come and be happy, it's come and be forgiven. That's our first and biggest problem. God's holiness, which we don't align with at all. 
He comes and he provides a way. Come and be forgiven. That's the call of the gospel. That's the, it's about being restored to God. It's about God. I, I had a friend once, maybe some of you have heard this. I still have this friend. Um, said, what if heaven was just a mud puddle, but Jesus was there? Would you still want to go? Like, yeah, okay. I see what it's about. Like, the only thing that makes heaven heavenly is the fact that Jesus is there. Like, I don't want to go to heaven if he's not there. It's all about him. We love him. We get in by believing in and obeying him. He's not just a store we shop at. He's a kingdom that we live in that he reigns and rules over. He's not a genie for our life. He's, He's God. He's worthy of all. All of our worship. And he's the only one that can take it. He's the only one that can withstand our worship. Some of you try to find your ultimate fulfillment in your spouse or your kids. And you love these. But Jesus is the only one who's strong enough to bear the burden of your worship. We'd all do well when communion time comes. Even now. If you never hear anything the rest I say for the rest of the day hear that. It's Jesus. He needs to sit on the throne of your heart. And that's why John is so zealous for what comes next. So I want to do some encouraging before we move on. Um, I, took a, I took a day to just fast and, and, and just read the book of Luke from one end to the other. And this was going to be my food for the day. And like, so I start and I'm thinking of all the sermons we've done so far, and, and, then I get to, and then I get to this, and that's the sermon in front of me, and I'm trying to resist the temptation just to like plan everything out and get my pen out and make notes. I just wanted to read, put the pen away, just, just, just you and me, Jesus, all right? That's, that's all I wanted. And so I get to chapter 11, and like I got headphones in, I take a break, I go wash some dishes, and I'm just like, Jesus, yeah and just satisfied my heart, and then I was like, all right, back into it, and, and I think I get to halfway through maybe chapter 12, and it just drops me on the floor, and it pretty much goes that way for the rest of the book, and hit the ceiling, fall back down to the floor, mountain high experience, crash, just, and I'm starting to realize we have to put you guys through all this, and I know we're expecting a lot out of you. I, didn't re- I knew that going into this. But then reading this. Whew. So I think I need to pray for us. Um, we're not going to make it through this apart from Jesus helping us. Um, you're going to want to hit the eject button. You're going to want to by the end of the sermon, I promise. Uh, I want to pray for this series, because if you have a pulse, you're, you're, he's going he's gonna to offend you. And some of you, he might have to. Some of us are, Leonard and I were talking two weeks ago or so, and some people have really tender consciences, and it doesn't take a lot. It's a wood splinter. You're like, okay, I think I got it. I got it. Others of us, two by four. <laughs> some of us, we are watermelons with a really... Hard, protective, outside, gushy middle. Others of us are peaches. 
reversed. Hard heart. Jesus knows how to get to every one of us. He knows exactly what we need. And he will because he loves you. He's going to tell you the truth. And what does the truth do? First it, what is that? It makes you angry before it sets you free. I'm asking you to endure. I read this before, but... Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Like, this is the time that we have to, to repent, as John is telling us. To, to turn from and turn to God. Turn from our sin and turn to God. That's boiled down what repentance is. Get off the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. There is one mention of endurance. Who for the joy set before him endured a cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured, there is a second mention of endurance, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may grow weary, so that you won't grow weary and faint-hearted. In the same, in your struggle, our personal Against in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of blood, like he did. <clears throat> you have forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons. So our identity needs to be in Christ. There's, there's a bunch of identities, but there's only one that's in Christ. We need to be found in that. Some of us stop orbiting land. My son, this is the exhortation that the church here, that the writer of Hebrews is talking to. My son. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is, the dis it is for discipline that you have to endure. Third mention of endurance. God created you as sons. That's our identity. Children of God to all who did receive him, Jesus. He gave them the right to become children of God. For what son is there whom the father is not disciplined? If you are left without discipline, which all, particip which all participated, have participated in, then you are illegitimate sons and not, uh, illegitimate children and not sons. We said before, you don't want to know how God loves you. Does he come against you? You know, a father who loves his kid and his kid's running out into the street, the father's going to run over and snap the kid up even, and he might hurt the kid doing it. That's how God loves you. And he might yell at him and say, no. We don't go past the sidewalk. Every thou shall not and every thou in the Bible, God's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to warn you. We're going to talk about his warning here in a second. It's the love of God that he would warn you. He doesn't have to. He goes on until he says, therefore, lift your drooping heads. Strengthen your knees. And make straight the paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Strive for peace with everyone, for holiness without which none will see the Lord. So, Father, um, before we continue in our message, I just want to pray for everybody here that you would meet them where they are. And you would grant us that endurance. Help us to see the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Grant us fruit and repentance. Help us to know that repentance isn't just this, this, this heavy, daunting word. We get to change. 
to all who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. Help us to turn from all the stuff that we treasure so much because it's all trinkets compared to the treasure that's in you. Do that work within us. Help us rearrange the furniture in our brain. And I don't ask for anything for anybody here that I don't ask double for myself, so. Submit myself to you. And any harshness that I would, might be experienced, that I might need to be the character, integrity, and authenticity, may it be. In Jesus' holy and wonderful name we pray. Amen. All right, so, verse 7. All right, John's about to preach the most seeker-sensitive sermon of all time. Uh, and he said, therefore, to the crowds who came out to be baptized to him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? All right, so a brood. All of you who have a bunch of kids, you have a brood. Uh, we're a brood of people. It's a gathering. It's a, it's a unit. It's, so what he's essentially saying uh, and true or false, Israel doesn't have a good history with snakes, serpents. True. So he's pretty much saying, hey, you children of the devil. You would not like it if you were preaching today. <laughs> he's like, I don't like this. I should have taken up golfing. I don't even golf, and it's 30 degrees outside. Who warned you? All right, so this is a, this is a God warning. It's in the very scripture that you, these people... This crowd around John is coming to him full of just all different kinds of people. He's saying, what brought you out here? It has to be supernatural. It has to be this drawing. No one drives past church and says, I think I need to get saved today. That's not how it works. Either someone you love bantered you into coming here or you felt this... It's the drawing of God. Who warned you? It has to be God. He's, he's drawing people in to the one who's preparing everybody to the one he wants to draw them into, Jesus. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We're going to talk about wrath for a moment. Just... All right, so who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Where do you flee? You flee from the one whom the wrath comes. Wrath is a big, I know we don't want it to be, but it's a big theme in Scripture. Over 180 times it's mentioned explicitly, the wrath of God. Uh, Over 540 times it's mentioned implicitly. It's a mega theme in Scripture. There's God's passive wrath. You're not aware of it. You feel like you're getting away with something, but failing to believe in heed heed God's sure justice. He he said this is wrath to come. It's promised wrath. So you think you're getting away with something, but you're not. You're not getting away with anything. You're storing up everything when you refuse to turn from that thing to God. And then there's God's act of wrath consequences fall immediately. Wrath to come, it's promised. Romans 2 says this, 
Or do you presume, or presumption, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance? Forbearance is um, like a judge can choose not to give you the just sentence. It's not choosing what, it's mercy. And patience. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Like God's giving us time. It's a gift. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, we who are peaches, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works to those. And he gives us the two options. We turn or we face God's wrath. And the good news is we flee. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee. Let's focus on the word flee. From God's wrath by finding refuge in God. Where justice and mercy meet at the cross. Justice for sin. Consequences laid on him. And mercy for sinners. That's why everything begins with repentance. It's the door that gets you into Jesus. Jesus is the door that gets you into the kingdom. Remember that. Psalm 2.12 says, Kiss the son lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So it's not just turning from our sin. Because you could turn from your sin and do a 360 and turn right back to it, as I have done plenty of times. Not really credible to stand up here. And so 180, by God's grace, he keeps you that way. And not only turn, when the Bible says turn, it often, that's language for, for hate. Uh, uh, and that's simply all hate is sometimes. It's just turning from. It's not this adverse, aggressive feeling towards, towards something. It's simply this, turning away. This can be subtle. Oh, you who love the Lord, hate evil. He preserves the life of his saints. Psalm 97.10, Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Amos 5.15, hate evil and love good. Psalm 34.14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So, love. Turn to. Hate, turn from. Love, turn to. Advance. God loved us. He advanced us. Took the masculine role and and went forward. Wasn't passive where Adam was. Love what is good. Only God is good. He would not be good if he wasn't just. If he didn't warn us about all the... All that you don't want me to talk about right now. Wrath. But look, um, Ephesians 2 and the cross of Christ say that he is rich in mercy. That, uh, that word rich there, it means infinite. So if we're humble, acknowledging our need, he's rich in mercy. 
And the good news, because all undealt with sin can only be punished, all unrepented sin can only be punished, all repented sin can only be shown mercy. And the good news is that Jesus drank our cup for us, for all those who would receive it and have him as Lord and Savior. We love him as Savior. You need to love him as Lord too. It's fully paid for. He drinks your cup and he gives you his cup. You get his righteousness when you repent. And repentance is too. It's confession and turn from. Change your mind about So you run from everything that this book will tell you that God is not pleased with to the only one who can do anything about it. And that's why we love Jesus so much. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So we come to church for you know, various reasons. Um, you thought you needed various things when you came here this morning, and I know I sidetracked you. Um, come to church to feel like a good person, help with our image, various validations from self, others, and God. But friend, you need Jesus. That's all we offer here. And that's everything. You might, we, we wrote, I know my time's getting short, but on the other night, we wrote a list of values on this, on this whiteboard. And a bunch of good stuff. You got responsibility, humility, uh, compassion, a bunch of stuff values that we prioritized. Jesus is the perfect personification of all the values that we wrote on the board. Need him. Bear fruit, verse 8. Ongoing. So bear fruit in keeping with repentance. This is ongoing. There's character fruit and there's, the, there, there's a worshipful good works that you love your neighbor with. There's that kind. Uh, this is external evidence of an internal change in keeping with. This is a progress. This is a progression. Um, uh, all, bear fruits. You, you, you in keeping with. You, you keep going. You don't stop repenting. It's not a one-time thing. It's a life. It's a lifestyle that you walk into. Martin Luther, his first thesis, when he nailed his 95 thesis to the door in Wittenberg, uh, his first one was, all life is repentance. Repentance, uh, because we can't have two masters, the Bible says. You'll love one and hate the other. Jesus is our sole and only master. If he's not, make him that. He already is that regardless if we make him or not. He is God, regardless if we think he is. He is Lord over all things, even if he's not the Lord over your life. And the offer, I mean, we, look, we look at repentance like it's this bad word, like it's heavy word because we don't want to change. And we're resistant. God understands that. He wants to take everything that, I know I just put a lot of weight on all of us. He's the one that can lift it off. It's going to be a really good day for you. We are continually sinning. We continually sin and, and need to continually turn back. Spurgeon said, we are always sinning, but he is always saving. First uh, John 1.9 says, if we are faithful to, co- to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and heal us from all unrighteousness. We could have a clean slate. The cross is Jesus taking your criminal record and he gives you his perfect resume. So when you stand before God, you present him that and say, Jesus, that's, that's all I'm banking on. Okay, so warnings make it so. Verse 9. 
Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Fire means everything you don't want it to. Warnings make it so we see hope by showing us the very real weight of reality. John just doesn't give us a bunch of bad news and then bounce out. He loves, the, like the person who loves you the most tells you the most truth. He, he, he's after these people. He's saying, God, you guys need God. Because the reality is fire. Jesus takes the fire on himself. He was burnt, so you'll never have to be. And he's the only one. In verse 17 next week, when we go over that text, the fire is going to be mentioned again. It's going to say unquenchable fire. Jesus is the only one who can put out that fire, and he does for everybody who would ever come to him. Puts out that fire for you, taking it on himself. Jesus is more unquenchable. Jesus is the only thing that can quench hell for the sinner. He spared you from it, spared us from it. Praise his name. Spurgeon said, sin and hell are married unless repentance proclaims the divorce. It's more than hard. I know. I really understand the weight that you're feeling right now. Please endure. We need grace. That's how good the good news is when we know what we're safe from. Jesus absorbed, fully paid for the wrath of God on our behalf. (sighs) Praise his name. Now, John, and this is where we'll end, he's going to give us some practical. Uh, He's going to give us some takeaways. He's going to give us some action steps. He's going to show you what this fruit looks like. These are what the big ideas are. Verse 11, please. Uh, And he answered, what shall we do? So they heard this. They felt the very same weight that you feel right now, even more so. They had John the Baptist in front of him. I have, you guys get me. He, so they feel it. And this is the message. When the message is received, it's what do we do? I gave you the answer. It's Jesus. He's the right answer for everything. What's your favorite color? It's Jesus. <laughs> Sir, what will you have tonight for? No, it's not that far. All right, so, and he answered them. What do we do? So remember, Jesus is, John the Baptist is, is coming from a more moral state so as to throw their hearts upon Jesus. So he's going to tell them some really practical steps, and then we'll close. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics, shirts, is to share with one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. So you're supposed to do the good you can do. Fulfilling the needs uh, within your means. This is spoken to crowds. This is spoken to everyone. Uh, I don't have time for that story. And next, moving on. He, tax collectors also came to him. These were notorious people. Like if you were Jewish in that day, then there was... The tax collector, that was like if you grew up in like Nazi Germany, these were, the guy, these were Jews who were informing on other Jews. That, that's how you probably thought about the tax collectors. They extorted you, they took your money, and they gave it to the ones who were oppressing you. Not, real th- not thought of real well. See the grace of God. He actually has one of these tax collectors be one of his disciples, Matthew. Um, he tells them, who else came to Teacher, what shall we do? Verse 13, please. And he said to them, collect more, do not, collect no more than you are authorized to do. So he told the crowds, do the good you can do. He told the tax collectors, don't do the evil you are doing and are capable of. Fight the temptation for greed and extortion and oppressing the vulnerable. 
poor are easy targets for the greedy, but everybody's an easy target for God. Now, verse 14. Don't assume you're off. No. Soldiers. People of authority. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, don't, ex- excuse me, don't extort money. Don't extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations. Be content with your wages. So he's saying, he told the crowds, do the good you can do. Told the tax collectors, don't do the evil you are doing. Tells the soldiers, don't abuse your opportunity, rights, and power. All of them are gifts from God anyway. They don't belong to you. Knowing that makes one merciful to one another in those moments when when they would have otherwise been using their authority to extort. He Use those as opportunities for contentment. Be content with, with your wages. Contentment is massive. Integrity and, and humility should come with authority and power. You bosses. Spoken to soldiers. All right, so we begin to see God's promise. God's purpose is a revolution of the heart, not so much society, though that has an effect on society. You can't change society until God change your heart, changes your heart. You can't change your family until God changes your heart. You can't fix your spouse. You can't play Holy Spirit in their life. God needs to do a direct work on you. It's personal. It's you and him. That's the first work. We're about to enter into communion. And everything that was turned up from this, uh, give that to God. He, that's his invitation. The invitation has been set. The warning has been issued. The consequences are real and promise. Direction has been given. Hope is coming. Next week, we're going to talk about Jesus. It's not going to be nearly as heavy as this. Jesus arrives next week, but we're going to go to him now. He's here for you now. And so, Jesus is a very real weight that we're feeling right now. And if it's real, may it not be just from... from, these aren't my opinions. These are the things that you developed in me. So I pray that, that your word, it would be what people respond to. You're, you're speaking. You are the one who created the human heart. You are the one who satisfies the human heart. You are our greatest need. And you have the greatest supply of yourself. So help us to come to you. Even if we've been coming to you, help us to come to you all the more. If we know you, help us to come to you again. What we think we need is all these different things, but Jesus, may we have you and you alone. Help us complete that distance. Show us what that looks like. Lead us in our prayers. And thank you for the gift of repentance that you give us, the opportunity to come away all the things we treasure so much that we might treasure you, some of us, maybe for the first time. Thank you for such grace and mercy, the one we have so vehemently sinned against for us. Took our place, did our place for our sins. He who was made He who was without sin was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Savior. We need a Savior. Help us. In Jesus' holy and wonderful name we pray. Amen.
as we come to communion now, uh, take this time uh, before you partake in the elements and think of all the things that you can place on Jesus, all of the, the troubles in your hearts or anything that uh, is bothering you. This is the time and this is a place where we bring those things to him. And he said in the Bible many times that to place your burdens upon him. And this is the time that we need to prepare to do that. And as, as you bring those things before him, uh, think of the, the elements that we partake in each week, the cup and the loaf, body broken and his blood shed. Uh, so at this time, let's ask his blessings upon these elements. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you've given us today. We thank you for the message that uh, Rich brought to us. And Lord, we pray that, uh, that you would help us all to uh, place all of our burdens upon you because we know that you will uh, answer our prayers and uh, lift those burdens upon us. Uh, we ask your blessings upon the cup and the loaf. Uh, we thank you for the significance that those elements are to us. Ask these things in your son's name. Amen. to our next song if you uh if you need to take some time with god you, you, remain seated there's no that's fine um if you need someone to talk to after the service we're here for you come see us uh remember i got three bibles one who comes up first gets the best one maybe i don't know um and as we sing this is a new song uh we sing about the joy of god allowing us to change and so if you'd like to rise with us let's go You have searched me, you know my heart. Before I spoke, you knew my every thought. The wonder of your knowledge is far too high for me to understand. You knew I'd leave your side And cower in the cover of the night There's no place I could hide From the mercy of your light Your kindness leads me To repentance your grace assures me 
trust in you I could climb up into the sky or dive down deep where darkest evil eyes I'll never find a place to flee your presence is always where I am you'd never leave my side and even when I fight to get my way you patiently disarm my defenses with your grace your kindness leads me to repentance your grace assures me to trust in you a faithful savior you restore me my life is yours i belong to you search my heart in my thoughts shine your light I can't hide in the dark oh give me faith to respond when you call search my heart your kindness leads me to repentance your grace assures me to trust in you faithful savior you restore me my life is yours i belong to For all the weight that's still residing on us, I pray that you would meet us in that and help us to carry it. Your word says, Jesus, you say, come to me all who you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. Look, you'll take the weight off of us and you'll, you'll invite us into the, the best captivity there is to be longing to you. It's the only kind of slavery in which you're actually free. So help us, help us to understand these things. Help us to search you in your word. And, and when we feel the weight, when we feel your word grinding against us, uh, let us run to you with it, not away from you. You're a God who has open arms. You, you, you came as savior. You came as savior now so that we would not have to know you as judge later. Thank you. May we receive the invitation of your warnings and and joyfully and gladfully lay everything down for your namesake. And it's for your wonderful and perfect name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon. Uh, digging Deeper will take place uh, after the service. I'm sorry I didn't leave as much time for it. Uh, we love you. We'll see you soon.